Welcome back to the Game of Thrones Flashcast, the incomparable Flashcast about Game of Thrones that doesn't have a clever name. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined by Brian Hamilton. Hello, Brian. Hey, Jason. How you doing tonight? Oh, uh, well, I uh, I watched one of the last episodes of Game of Thrones. I don't know. There's stuff happening. There's a lot. I, I thought this episode was going to be over 15 minutes before it ended. Yeah, same. There were so many moments in the structure where I was trying to guess, okay, what are they going to do this episode? What are they setting up? And I did and not tap my happens. remote to see where we were in the time. I didn't want to know, but it kept surprising I, me. I did a few times because the people I was watching, yeah, let's let's pause for a second, grab another drink or use the bathroom. So this was the first time this season we actually paused. It. <laughs> yeah, and they stick the best, the, the like behind the scenes stuff on afterwards. So you, you can't really tell. It's like a book that you think there's like 100 pages left and then it turns out there's an index or there's like maps or there's chapters of another book at the back. And you're like, oh, no, I thought there was still 100 pages. And it's like, nope, it's so you can't you can never really tell. We should mention the uh, fact that our friend Monty is not here now at the end of last the last episode if you listened through the whole thing um he you know we were not entirely sure whether he would come back or not because he was really down on the show and didn't like the episode last week and uh and he uh he decided during this week that he wasn't uh he wasn't really having fun with it and so he didn't want to go on so I, I i think what i said was it's official monty died at the uh at the battle of winterfell <laughs> the cause, oh, no. cause of death was darkness you know, the point I made to, to you, Brian, and to Monty is, um, although, you know, part of my job, at least, is doing podcasts, some podcasts, this is a podcast we do for fun to talk about a show we like with our friends. And if it's not fun anymore, and it was not fun for Monty last time, there's no point in continuing because we do this for fun. And that, that's the bottom line is we do this for fun. 100%. This is something that we're doing out of the goodness of our hearts to, you know, be able to talk among friends about a show we really like and also to put out a fun, you know, yeah. night of, literally the night of the show yeah. we, we put this out. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that winds up making this just a for fun show and more power to Monty for doing, not doing something that isn't fun anymore. No, he, you know, no, nobody should have to do that. And, and the truth is, this is uh, something we do for fun, but it is an effort. I, you know, you know, I, I rearrange, especially on the West Coast, I have to rearrange my Sunday evenings while this is going on and move my family dinners around and, uh, you know, watch at a time that we probably would not watch. We'd probably wait um, because we want to get it done when you can do it. I can talk to you on the East Coast and we, we work it all out. And one of the reasons that we're motivated to do that is because we have heard over the last few years from people who love to listen. Uh, a lot of people in the morning after, you know, as they're driving to work or riding the bus or whatever it is. And and that's great because that gives us a little extra motivation to keep at it, even though, you know, it would be certainly easier for us to not do it. So uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And um, and I have one other word before we get on and talk about season eight, episode four, The Last of the Starks, which is just as people reacted to Monty uh, having a, a, a bad time last week and complaining about uh, the the show and that he couldn't see it, which it turns out lots of people, it was a very common thing. In fact, I, I would go so far as to say that if you're the producers of the show and you've reached this big episode, the last thing you want is all the stories to be about how bright it is or dark, as the case may be. I think that's bad. It certainly wasn't just Monty. It wasn't everybody, but it certainly wasn't just Monty. And, you know, it was a that was it was a rough ride last week, especially the first twenty minutes, because Monty was just kind of kind of angry, 
And we got we heard from people who said that that wasn't fun. And I get it, right? Like listening to people not like a show, like why would you, if there was, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a, uh, there's a recapper, I won't name the name, but there's a recapper for a major media outlet that recaps every episode of Star Trek Discovery, which is a show I like very much. And this writer has not liked the show at all for both seasons. And I had that moment where I thought, why? One, would you write that? And I guess the answer is because they pay you. And two would be, why would you read that? <laughs> uh, I guess that you could like hate read, but like I feel like I get it, right? It, it's way more fun to listen to people talk about a show you like and why they like it than to talk about why they hate something you like. So uh, I think a lot of people were uncomfortable last week. Brian and I were kind of uncomfortable because Brian loved that episode and I thought it was okay, but with I thought it had some flaws and they made some mistakes. Um, and Monty hated it with the fire of a million burning suns. And I get that reaction. I I will say, however, and this is absolutely serious, is a bunch of people out there decided to be really insulting to Monty and not just that, but to his face on social media. And uh, this message is for you. I don't want you listening to my podcast. If you're going to be a jerk to the people who are on them, go away. Not interested. I'm not interested in that kind of garbage. So please leave it at the door. Uh, this is a place where we are friends, having a good time, talking about something. And if you are going to be such a jerk and so entitled that you feel that it is your job to insult people who say things on podcasts that you don't like, I don't want you listening to my podcast. I'm not interested in people like that listening to the stuff I make. Even if Monty was the only person who had trouble watching a too dark episode of Game of Thrones... He would not deserve any of the flack and anger and legit harassment and, and abuse that and harassment he got. he got this week. Exactly right. Yes. Exactly right. Because the, the bottom line is, it's not our job to puff up the show. This is not an HBO marketing vehicle. It's our job to express our opinions. And I get how negative opinions are not uh, fun to listen to. And, you know, totally get it. It's your absolute right to skip uh, an episode that, uh, where you're not feeling it. But uh, what it is not your absolute right to do is abuse people who have different opinions than you or said something you didn't like on a podcast that you usually like. Doesn't matter. Uh, just move on with your life. Either skip that episode or unsubscribe to that podcast. But what you should not do is bully, harass, and otherwise demean the person who said those things that they actually legitimately felt there is no dire wolf that will legally eat you if you don't listen to the entire episode yeah, of the podcast it's okay. you can just stop put it away and keep any negative thoughts to yourself and the fact that so many other people also had the same issues as monty with watching the show is bonkers like did you also insult every other person who couldn't watch game of thrones i don't think so because yep. monty had a platform and an audience and a lot of people who really like the podcast and it's, it's inexcusable so do not listen to this show if you're going to be that cruel because we are friends we do this because we want to have fun and talk to you yeah. our listeners we love our listeners don't be a jerk on the internet um if you don't like it that's fine just don't listen uh but don't be a jerk to other people who are just doing something because they they are having fun. All right, so this is The Last of the Starks. Uh, this season, Brian, you and I get to play that game where we watch a whole episode of Game of Thrones, and then we go on the HBO website afterward to find out what it was called, because... 
they don't say <laughs> it's not it's part of a secret uh, it's kind of nice that they're re- like keeping that for after the show because it's a nice little like i, I don't want to call it a spoiler but even when we had the titles revealed it was something i was thinking about in the back of my mind every episode and i love that oh now we know what the title is it's the last of the starks what does that mean oh interesting and it's not something i'm thinking about during the show i really appreciate that right right exactly um so lots of stuff in this episode as you might expect uh we start with grieving which i think is only appropriate after the carnage of last week we start with grieving um daenerys is with jorah's dead body and sansa is with theon's dead body uh, and she puts the little stark direwolf on him so it's like you know he's he's a reminder that he's truly a member of their family and he grew up with them even though he was a great joy um and they've made so what was that like a hair clip or something yeah, or just a little stark emblem? <laughs> i don't know i like, think it's a little that? emblem that they put on like sort of like how the 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 hand of the of the queen or king gets a little mm. thingy i think that's what it basically it is i'm sure there's somebody out there who's saying well don't you know that that's this thing that she wore in one episode it's like yeah okay maybe but i you know symbolically it's just you are one of us you are a stark uh you you know because that was always you know he betrayed he betrayed them in the end there but he did was raised as a hostage slash ward kind of thing it's a it's all complicated but here at the end for theon she does that gesture and i thought that was that was nice and then they you know they basically got the rectangles you know out there of the dead and they light them on fire because a huge number of people died also there were a lot of dead bodies from the the dead dead that they also had to burn i mean there was a there's a lot i'm glad uh we don't have smell in our uh visual <laughs> media that we consume because that would be bad because it, it that, took me a while to smell. it took me a while to realize that those were dead bodies i thought wait what are, the, are those like structures are those like war machines from oh it's all the bodies it's the and dead bodies yeah. once we got close-ups of everyone my first thought was main characters to the top of the stacks please thank you mm-hmm. uh but there's a whole bunch of uh those really nice scenes and um uh, where you know people got to say goodbye it was nice for the people who in the future are going to be binging these episodes i can't imagine any other way to start the next episode than this the other thing i really liked about theon's send-off and the whole you are a stark thing is that it kind of nicely parallels john's journey as a not stark but stark or not a stark in that you know the rest of the episode is all about what is a stark what is john actually what does it mean to be family even if you're not actually a stark i really enjoyed that Yep, exactly right. Well, there's a lot of questions about that in this The Last of the Starks, right? That that, that mm-hmm. is and and mirroring of episode 1 and the whole like initial thoughts about the uh, uh initial thoughts about um how how we get into it with the direwolves and the and the stark family and all of that and now we it's all being reflected back to us here at the end john gives a big speech at this point including the line that i really liked which is they were the shields that guarded the realms of men i have a lot of questions that are probably never going to be answered about what happens to westeros culture after this like there's that moment later where um he hugs where john hugs gilly and discovers that she's pregnant and there's this whole thing about like you're not supposed to have sex when you're in the night's watch but uh he doesn't care and you know john's like an ex night's watch one and i think there's a larger question of like if there's no night king does there need to be a wall does there need to be a night's watch uh what happens to those castles is that like does Tormund party at the at castle black now from you know or or is it still a border with wildlings and it's it, it's okay for that i have lots of questions about like the watchers on the wall has their watch ended entirely at this point ah. um and and so I, I was just thinking about all that when he says people will remember this forever and they they were, were the shields that the guard 
the realms of men because it makes it feel like uh and i think it's right like in the history of westeros the battle of uh, against the undead is going to become a we saw the legendary moment in history that will be retold and buffed and smoothed out and ma- you know made a tall tale and all the things that happened to moments <laughs> in history um but to, that speech felt like appropriate for that moment and this is a strong theme for for this whole episode right which is this is john being kingly and uh this is a problem because we now know a a, enough people know that it's going to get out that john really is the rightful heir and he's good at this part of it which is uh which is you know the inspirational part which is super dangerous. It's like extra dangerous for Daenerys that not only does he have a claim, but that he's actually really good at this stuff. And she's, you know, okay at it, but not as good as he is. And and, and so, uh, you know, that, that, that argument happens later, but we get to see him walk the walk earlier, which I think is a very clever uh, bit of construction of this episode. That was one of my first things when he started being super kingly. And this is like one of the first times we've actually seen him be a king because for the first time, there's the context of everyone around him. All the other times he's done inspirational speeches, it's just been to the Night's Watch. It's just been to the Wildlings. It's just been to a small amount of people. But things are important enough now that all the people who have sway in the government and the culture are right there. And even though he doesn't want it, my first thought was, oh, yeah, Daenerys is going to be super threatened by this. And the other thing about that is, um, yeah, it was, oh, my God, this is the first time I've blanked on a thought in... <laughs> But it's a flashcast, Brian. Don't make me edit the the flashcast. Please edit it. Uh, No, I really love that scene. It was something nice to see all the uh, uh, see him be kingly. And the other thing about the uh, Night's Watch, I think this battle is going to mean that there's going to be more like sway for the Night's Watch, even though there doesn't need to be one anymore to fight the undead. There hasn't needed to be one to fight the undead for thousands of years before this. And I think their main job up there was to, you know, hang out and wait for them, but also, you know, defend against wildlings, so, just man so the wall, border do patrol. things like that. Border patrol. Yeah, exactly. So I think that this battle, don't you want to be one of the epic people who did, um, don't you want to be one of the epic people who fought at Winterfell? Join the Night's Watch and come on up here. I think there's still going to be, you know, there also needs to be a place for the criminals who don't want to be, you know, kept at home or like thrown away. <laughs> they, uh, you put them in prison or something. But yeah, you're right. It's like work release. Maybe so. I, I, I bet you that they never deal with this in the show. But I, I kind of want to. Maybe George R. R. Martin will deal with it if he ever writes the, any of the more books. But like, I kind of want to <laughs> know, like, how do you construct when when we get to the last episodes? Like, how do you construct? Um, a, uh, a a new society when there are when there's this big assumption like the Night's Watch, which was had fallen into disrepair, but still like they don't really need it anymore. And does the wall like maybe we'll get a little clue about this because I I do wonder what's up with Bran and what resolution the Three Eyed Raven is going to have ultimately. And you know, there's the magic that made the wall. Does the wall stay standing or does it come down entirely? Is this you know do the do the Night's Watch people still stay and 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 what becomes a Bran? I think there's that question. Like he has that uh, that. Uh, thing that he says about how he lives mostly in the in the past now like Mm. he's not really here and there is this question of like what is brand's 
role. He says, you shouldn't envy me. I don't really want anymore, he says. He's got the 130-year-old chair. He's not definitely not going to be the Lord of Winterfell. And I, you know, I think there's more of Bran's story to come. Um, but I, I think that's a question. Actually, there's the, also that scene where the Onion Knight is really mad at the Lord of Light because obviously, uh, you know, the, Melisandre and she she sacrificed uh, uh, the Stannis's daughter who he loved, and there's all of that. And he's like, you know, how do I get mad at this Lord of Light that isn't out there? And there have been some theories going around about like is bran is the three-eyed raven also the lord of light or are they connected in some way and i feel like there's got to be more to bran the the last thing we see in the show is not going to be like bran kind of just sitting around being a three-eyed raven like that there's got to be something there there's got to be more to that story i don't know quite what but there's got to be more to it even if he is the Lord of Light, I don't think that there's going to be some big thing that he does with that. I think the end of Bran's story, if he is the Lord of Light, is just the reveal that he's the Lord of Light. Maybe. And he gets to live on as the Lord of Light. I don't. I don't think so. I think. I think Bran is going to either go off into the north to live in a tree, like the old Three Eyed Raven did, or he's going to, you know, vanish into a you know puff of of ravens or something where he basically says um you know the the struggle with the um the struggle with the night king is over and you don't need me anymore i just i I feel like either he's going to kind of like go away somewhere uh far away not like to the citadel or something or he's going to just kind of vanish jedi style because (laughs) i don't really know like it, it just it's weird if there's just a super mystical oracle creature guy who is just hanging around winterfell it's i don't know that's kind of weird so i feel like there's got to be another shoe to drop there but i'm not quite sure what it is i certainly hope so uh gendry okay so gendry we've we he, he's a hero he's still uh surviving he asks he's asking around he asks the hound have you seen Arya around because of course they had sex <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> and uh and and the hound totally knows it and is like oh yeah boy well you know and he's like no 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 it's not like this of course it's like that but why why shouldn't you be you're a hero uh and we're all alive and and they're not and uh of course uh, but then something funny happens which is um as he gets up to i guess go look for Arya, uh, daenerys spies him and says hey gendry uh, would you like to be Lord Baratheon? Because we need a new we need a new Baratheon. He's like, well, I'm a bastard. And she says, no, I, I dub the Lord Baratheon. You get a you get a castle. Enjoy. Um, and and then there's a laugh out loud funny moment where she turns to Tyrion as he's leaving and says, and, and Tyrion's like, ooh, well that's good because then they'll, you'll have a Baratheon, but it'll be loyal to you. And she says, you're not the only one with the clever ideas, dummy. It's great. <laughs> Tyrion like mansplains Daenerys, and it was wonderful. There was like, Daenerys, I'm liking Daenerys less and less as the series goes on because of how they're setting her up to be someone who's not fit to rule and be on the Iron Throne. And this moment reminded me, oh yeah, she's actually really good at this. And not that the other things that happen this episode indicate that she's bad, but this is one of the more level-headed, okay, she's good, she's calculating. It was Tyrion-approved manipulation. (laughs) Yeah, it's... um... The way this episode handles, and I, I think you're right to feel the way you do about Daenerys, and the way this episode handles it, 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 I think it's worth asking the question, are we being manipulated by the show after all these years of viewing Daenerys a certain way to now view her a little more negatively? I don't think so, only because I feel like there's been a conflict at the heart of Daenerys all along where she is trying to strive to do something better, but we have seen her repeatedly in the East. This happened too. She kind of 
overreaches. She doesn't always have the right moves. Sometimes she does, but sometimes she doesn't have the right moves. And I think there's a cautionary aspect of it, which is she does want it really badly. Like, and this was the problem with her brother. Her brother really wanted badly to return and be the king. And uh, it got him a golden crown. It was not good. Uh, and, and she also wants that. And the argument that Varys makes later in this episode is maybe it's better if the king is or queen is someone who doesn't want to rule. And the problem with Daenerys is, although she does want to change the world, she wants badly to rule and is willing to make some potentially awful decisions to get there. Whereas somebody like John uh, just doesn't, you know, he would be the most reluctant of, of kings. I think there's also a strong argument against John because John is indecisive. I mean, th- th- what they're really saying is, yeah, yeah, indecisive and questioning is the kind of king we want rather than decisive <laughs> and with a vision. Uh, you don't want a king or queen with a vision because then they're going to do whatever it takes to fulfill their vision. And, you know, the show has always been interesting about power and what the what good comes of power and what bad comes of power. And uh, it seems to now be drawing some very clear lines with uh, sort of like the kind of ruler John is and the kind of ruler Daenerys is. I have so much to say about that later in the episode when we get to okay. King's Landing. Right. So I'll I'll put that in my All back right. pocket for now. All but right. I love these scenes here in Winterfell, especially at the celebration where we get both chill, fun hangout celebration and subtle, small intrigue about a whole mm-hmm. bunch of things where uh, there's the tension between Sansa and Daenerys that um, that shows up every so often. Yep. And then, of course, the tension between Daenerys and Jon as his uh, kingliness is starting to rear its ugly head. But then we also get really wonderful scenes with uh, Tyrion, Brienne, and uh, and Jaime, which were yeah. so Tormund. hilarious. And the Hound is amazing. Tormund. Tormund and- is drinking out of a horn. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the line of the episode may be, um, vomiting is not not celebrating and he says yes it is <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> party uh yeah and they're, they're they're drinking games happening and it's Tyrion and jamie and brianne and pod don't forget podrick is there Podrick, of course um and and Same yes. game they were playing in season one where they were guessing lies and drinking yeah and, and that that leads to something we'll get to in a little bit with jamie and brianne but this is you're right such a rich scene because in addition to the wackiness this show does better than any other show i think the meaningful looks and we get daenerys she's looking around they're talking talking about loving john he got murdered and came back he rides a dragon he's you know he's a king and she's like "Mm, this is not good like like in the moment we're all united against the the dead but now it's like things are way more complicated now there are lots of different axes of interest and power and it's a it's messy in a way that she wishes it weren't but it is. And and it's not like everybody's plotting against her here. It's just that as she's listening to these conversations, she's got those moments Daenerys does where she's like, mm, you know, like it's not they're not all she wants them all to just bend the knee and say, we love Daenerys. She's our queen. And uh, that's what she wants. And as she says a little bit later, like nobody does that here. And like in the in Westeros, it's hard. And in the north, it's even harder. I would argue that the North has always not wanted to bend the knee for any king or queen, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. they, they're always a problem, but uh, she's really feeling it that like, this is not going to be easy there. The, all of those questions about like, my people will want, will welcome me back with open arms because the Lannisters are so bad. Like there are, it's complicated. It's way more complicated than that. And, and this is, it doesn't mean that she's not going to win, but she is, as everybody is having their moment of revelry, she's sitting there realizing that this is 
way more it's going to be way more difficult than she uh had hoped it would be there's a line um we may have defeated them but now we have us to contend with and there was a moment in the beginning i i when i watched the previously on game of thrones there are so many things that they put on hold for last week's episode that are all coming back and there was a moment i had after i watched last week's episode and we recorded where i thought where are they going to go from here? It's so simple. All they have to do is kill Cersei. No, it's not. Mm. It's not simple at all. And my my grand theory was that all this complication was going to be made uh, worthless and unnecessary by the White Walkers. And without them, and the fact that we get to focus on Cersei and this whole storyline for the next, I guess now, two episodes, I, I'm thinking about this all in a much different way where I don't think there's going to be apocalyptic level, you know, destruction and terror, but I think there's going to be something more personal and something worse. Uh, and seeing Daenerys watch, uh, John be praised by everyone and uh, the, the line, what kind of person rides a dragon, a madman or a king? Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a little too on the nose where like there was enough there where, um, you know, oh, John's so great. Everyone's so happy about him being the hero and being someone that they can rally behind and Daenerys is sitting right there and I think the camera work and the sound design where it kind of got quieter as they focus in on Daenerys was enough to convey what she was feeling but the line who rides a dragon a king that was a little too on the nose well I I liked it because I felt like it's one of those things where people say things innocently but they've actually stepped in it and it's like the the northerners don't know and especially the, the wildlings like they don't know they remember he's the king in the north and they think it was awesome that he was on a dragon and i feel like that you know nothing is intended there to to attack daenerys's standing and of course they don't know the truth about john that she knows but it, it, it you know it is awkward at least if you know and daenerys does and i think that was mm-hmm. a funny little conjunction of like they're saying it for you know i think innocent reasons but boy like she's like oh boy this is the problem is that is that the, these people just say this th- this stuff and it's very hard to control and she she wants to control this situation and she can't and she tells john she's like we got to control this situation and th- the, you know it's you can't you can't it's it's you're gonna have to deal with it or not um other big things that happen right in here that we should mention um Sansa and the hound have an exchange and he says uh, you've changed little bird. I could have protected you from all that stuff if you had stayed with me. And she says something that's very interesting. and I think can be interpreted charitably or uncharitably, which is if not for all those awful, awful men, I would have stayed a little bird all my life. Uh, and I think you can uncharitably read that as the show saying, haha, see, uh, isn't it good that she was, raped and mistreated and all of those things but i think what the show is really saying is i needed to go out into the world and not be protected by people anymore and that is the only reason that i ended up being a capable person here is that i went out on my own and yes terrible things happened to me but you know i needed to not have big tall uh hounds protecting me anymore um it was a nice moment of growth for sansa but they definitely did imply that she needed that or that was the cause of that yeah and and one could argue yeah one could argue that there there were probably other ways perhaps that she could have progressed as a person while also not having all those terrible things happen to her but Mm. i get the sentiment that it's you know again and it really depends on how angry you still are about season five (laughs) but uh yeah because I do feel like there's a little bit of Benioff and Weiss here saying, basically, see, see why we did all those terrible things three seasons ago? See? And uh, I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I can... 
I get what Sansa is saying, but I also feel the hand of the authors there. Okay, I've said this before. I've always read Sansa's new arc and new incredible uh, power in the North as a kind of, I don't want to say forgiveness or uh, like an apology kind of thing, but I, I see them taking what George R.R. R. Martin wrote about Sansa's arc and twisting it into something positive. And despite all the different things, and sometimes because of all the terrible things, she has grown into an incredible ruler. And I've seen that as the show and the book and the medium and the story in general kind of having a dialogue. And hopefully, like, they're doing much more responsible things now culturally in the show than season five did. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we also get uh, the scene between Gendry and Arya, which is, you know, is coming and is kind of sweet in its sadness, which is he's basically like, um, <laughs> the, what I wrote down is, be my lady, come to my castle, hot pie will bake for us, we'll be happy. <laughs> and, and she says what you, we all know she's going to say, which is, I'm not a lady. I've never been a lady. I'm not going to be a lady. It's nothing personal. You're great. You every a, a, a lady would be love love you know lucky to have you, but I have known for a very long time that I'm not going to do that. Like literally, I didn't learn all this fighting and, and murdering and stuff in order to go back to being what my mother wanted me to be all along, which is married off to some lord. And it's that like sorry, move, Gendry, sorry. That move where she crouches down, kisses him, and picks him back up mid-kiss was one of my favorite things in the episode. <laughs> it was so subtle and smooth and completely conveyed how she feels. And I don't think Gendry got it until she yeah. said explicitly. And I felt so, and like, yeah, I felt so bad for him in the way, but also, you don't propose immediately. Like yeah. That, oh, God. Yeah, he came that, on a little strong. Like, if she was, like, into him, it would be like, whoa, whoa. Uh, get married and be a, a lady of a castle like but we know that she's never gonna say yes to that yeah. like her whole arc is running away from that thing that she that her mother wants her to be that she does not want to be and i see no signs of her rethinking it right she's a weapon that is her that is her lot in life and it's who she wants to be which is why i feel like she has um more murdering to do going forward in the next couple of weeks so we'll see absolutely and then jamie and brienne is the other big thing that happens which is he follows her after the drinking game where uh where the prompt is basically you've never uh, had sex with anybody and uh she refuses to answer and leaves and he follows her uh which i think uh shout out to nikolai coster waldo for doing drunk pretty well because it's like (laughs) jamie's jamie's drunk and he's pouring the wine and he's 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 you know he's he's drunk but he's also kind of expressing himself and we get uh yeah Bri- jamie and brian have a uh have a moment together dear which, winterfell forum i never thought it could happen to me i i kind of wanted the <laughs> um i kind of wanted when when she says she you know she's never she's never slept with anybody um what i wanted jamie to say is well i've never slept with anybody who's not my sister but I guess that would have brought them. I, I guess that would have brought the mood down a little bit. So. Yeah, just a little. A little, little that bit. comedy moment where Brienne leaves, Tormund starts to fu- not Tormund, uh, Tormund. Yes, Tormund, the red-haired uh, yes, yes, crazy man. Tormund yep. starts mm-hmm. to follow. Jamie stands up. That oh, yeah. whole silence, like 
vaudeville comedy moment was so perfect. I loved it oh, so torment. much. And then it leads to this really tender moment between uh, Brienne and Jamie. Yeah. And I love that this one relationship can contain both of those elements where it was really funny out there and there was like a really great camaraderie between them that we've seen build up over episodes and episodes and seasons. Yeah. But then we have a really sweet, tender, cute moment in uh, uh, where well, they culminate the relationship. She's, she's seen... She's seen him at his best, or you could argue she's seen the best of him. And this is, you know, this is why he says what he says when he leaves at the end, which is he lists off his crimes, basically. Like, I've done all of these horrible things for Cersei. And, you know, he's pushing her away. But I think he's also basically saying, this is why I have to go. Because yeah, I am I am a monster because of my sister, and there's really only one way to resolve this, is I need to resolve it with my sister. But what I like about the flip side of it is, she has seen who he can be. And, and it's not like she doesn't know the dark parts of Jamie, I think, maybe not the details, but like, but she's seen what he can be, and maybe tragically, you know, can't be, but what he could have been. Exactly. And the the reason that, you know, when he stays at Winterfell for a while with Brienne, and I thought that was like, oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. He wants to be out of this. He he helped fight the Night King. It's incredible. He wants to stay at Winterfell and just kind of relax for a little bit until the news arrives that things went terribly down south. And then he decides to leave. And I like that we still get more of Jamie's arc because at this point I thought, oh, maybe this is it. But no, this is not it. He's going right back down south. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Daenerys and John have their big scene where uh, they are getting amorous, but then it stops and she says, I wish you'd never told me. And she says, you got to bury this or it'll get out. You can't tell anybody. And he says, I got to tell my sisters. And she's like, that's not going to work. Sense is not going to react well. She's going to use it against me. Don't do this. Um, and uh, and he, he says, you know, we got to we gotta work this out. And she's like, yeah, there's a way to work this out. It's what I just told you, which also is I'm giving you an order and a, or an mm. ultimatum, which is never really a great sign of a relationship's <laughs> health is, yep. is, is an ultimatum. Um, I wrote in my notes at this point, why don't you two just get married and, 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 uh, and just uh, sidestep this whole issue. But there's a conversation that we'll get to in a bit where that is finally directly addressed by the show. So, but yeah, uh, it's a tough one because John, John feels that he needs to tell them. I think what's funny is later um, it's, this is going to get out, you know, it doesn't matter whether he does what Daenerys demands or not. It's going to get out because uh, Tyrion and Varys already know. Exactly. He has such a strong moral compass that, of course, he has to tell his family. And of course, he's going to do uh, he's going to swear fealty to Daenerys. But there's no way that those two things can work out in the reality of Westeros. Like it's going to get out and Daenerys is going to be upset. And uh, this is this is the most desperate we've seen Daenerys. Right. Is like begging him to not tell anyone. Yeah. Um. I don't know how I feel about that because there's of all the moments for her to not expect someone to do exactly what she says. I'm surprised it's this moment, you know, where John is someone that she trusts and loves. But there are also plenty of other times where she could have, you know, been this desperate and begged for someone to do something. I don't know, like free the slaves in Marine or, you know, bend the knee or something. And this is the one time where she doesn't have her dragons as backup because he's the one like she's 
without her dragons in this scenario, without like the rest of the uh, the rest of the council that surrounds her and advises her, this is a moment where she really does need to be desperate. And I'm, I don't know, I. This could be, again, me reading into the show, making me not want to like Daenerys, but I also think it's a really powerful character moment for her to, like, finally be this vulnerable around someone Hmm. who is as powerful as Jon. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, he is a confidant and peer in a way that she has not had before. Maybe, maybe, you know, Drogo. Or uh, whoever her boyfriend was, who was the the mercenary boyfriend. But like, oh yeah, I forgot about it. It's him. been yeah. a pretty 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 man, pretty mercenary man. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while, right? Though, and and, and this is a rare thing for her because usually it's all people who serve her and pledge to her, and their relationship. Even though he did finally bend the knee, uh, sort of out of necessity, their relationship has always been. Uh, you know, he didn't come and become a follower of her and into her cult or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, and therefore he has. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a different relationship and, and now it is stressed and tested in a way that what's funny is, you know, they all, they're still aligned in so many different ways. The problem is that they know they're at odds in other ways. And like in the end, I feel like this is what this whole season is about, which is how do you go to battle with somebody, you know, is the next person you need to battle exactly exactly like i have later in my notes that it's like the end of a season of survival I, when people who have been allies yep. need to betray each other yep that's that's exactly what i was thinking is it's like survivor which is you got to be smart don't betray your team when your team still needs to win but you need to find a way to segue between your team needing to win and you needing to betray those people so that you win and that's the that is this is survivor <laughs> happening on a on a uh, larger uh, westerosi kind of scale here but i had that same thought it's it's a it's a really interesting kind of like a game theory thing inside the uh, inside the fiction here uh Worth playing for speaking which mm, strategy map i love a strategy it's time for strategy maps and blocks on oh, a big man. table map time Woo, maps. map time uh, and the key thing out of this, they, they show the armies and, and I think part of the purpose of the scene is to say, uh, they still got, they still got armies like just to remind us, like they're not, they weren't, it's not like 80 people are left after this. They've still got armies. They still think that they can beat Cersei and the golden company. Uh, they're, you know, they, they may not be able to, but they, they, they feel that they've got some confidence. But the main other thing that comes out of the scene is that Sansa expresses reluctance and john basically goes nope it's fine and he basically does the he's man he's man spreading i guess a little bit <laughs> he's like just kind of like steps in front of her is like no i think it's okay and 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 then uh, Tyrion's like well all right then and afterward Arya comes up and is like we we need to talk to you because you know he totally just sort of said nope the north is well behind you and they're like we don't you know, we don't trust her is what Arya says. Like the, I screamed at that moment when yeah. John said, uh, we're going to bend the knee to Daenerys. Right? And I thought, oh, my God, that's such a huge thing to just come out and say. Especially, I, I, my, my best guess at that is that's a reaction to his conversation with Daenerys, where in the moment he wants to flaunt that he's someone who's going to be by her side no matter what. And I don't think he thought very clearly through how his family would feel about that to the point where they immediately whisk him away to have a conversation. He's also really practical. I mean, I think this is the the bad politics of John that is why 
uh, okay, so I we'll get there, but like I have a counter argument to Varys, which is that mm-hmm. uh, John is actually not would not somebody who would be good king material because he's really bad at politics, like his foster father, like Ned Stark. He is a true believer. He is honorable, but he does stuff that is not politically advisable because it's the thing that needs to get done. And when you're in an all-out war, especially an all-out war with the the Night King, right? Like there is a huge advantage to be that person. But when the war is over, politics is what ends up running the show. And John I think is bad at politics. And here is a great example, which is John says, forget about it. The North is with you because he's trying to get things done because they got to take out Cersei because he knows we got to, it doesn't matter about all this other stuff if we don't take out Cersei. Meanwhile, uh, Arya and Sansa are, are like to go back to Survivor for a second. They're playing, they're playing (laughs) one tribal council ahead, right? They're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to say yes now because that means that later we can't say no. And we're totally saying no later. And, uh, I think, I think it's fascinating. And that's why I think, um, I think they've been consistent with John's character. John is just very practical, but practical is not good for politics and where you need to be like a backstabber. Exactly. I I have so many... The way that he tries to navigate this scene, because this next scene about um, where they're all by the godswood and it's the four last Starks, ding, episode title, uh, the, the way that they're all talking is... John is talking about family, and Sansa and Arya are talking about um, politically the family, like the the ideals of the North and the way that they all stand up for each other. Whereas John is thinking more about the fact that he wants to tell them and he wants to have a good relationship with his family, his sisters, but not thinking practically about the fact that he's probably screwing over Daenerys and telling them, or at the very least making Bran tell them. I love and hate in equal, uh, in equal measure that we don't actually get to see the moment we cut away right after John says, Bran, tell them. Yeah, exactly. That that uh, I I do love that moment where Bran just says it's your choice because Bran knows everything, right? So he knows, yeah. and he's like, and and you get the sense like maybe this is a moment where there's two paths. <laughs> you have to choose the path. Now again, Varys and and Tyrion sort of say, well, look, it's going to get out, but John yeah. has chosen, and John has chosen to go against the ultimatum of Daenerys. So in that way, it does matter a lot because he's not going to do that. Now he does make them swear. Not to tell a soul, um, but that doesn't do. stop. Well, <laughs> what it it doesn't stop. Yeah, it doesn't stop uh, Sansa from talking to Tyrion, and we don't see that conversation. We just see her say, "Well, what if there was someone else?" But I think even if she didn't say, "Oh, did you know that John is actually a Targaryen?" It doesn't stop her from saying, "I think John should be the king." And, yeah. Right. Like it doesn't stop her from strategizing with what she knows, regardless of, of playing that card of, oh, by the way, John is also the rightful king of Westeros because he's actually a Targaryen. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's well, I mean, a lot of things in play for two more episodes. Right. I, I kind of feel now like next episode may be the resolution of Cersei. And then the final episode will be the resolution of everything else, because uh, there's so <laughs> many different things, uh, things on the strat- the big strategy map. 
Um, exactly. The, the the conversation between Sansa and Tyrion, I loved seeing Tyrion's yeah. dedication to Daenerys, and then like a scene or two later have doubts about it when talking with Varys. I loved mm-hmm. the the dynamic between um, you know, talking about like trying to convince Sansa to be on Daenerys' side, but then also having a back channel with Varys about what is more realistic and what's actually better for the realm. I loved that. What's well, behind the curtain thing where it's like out in front in public, we are totally all on all in on what we need to do for our leader behind the curtain. Everybody's got doubts and they're talking about the doubts and, and, and to, to see both sides of it is, uh, it's very interesting that yeah more about that in a minute that 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 whole conversation but we've got some other plot to get through first um a uh, quick scene with the hound and aria where he's riding south early because he doesn't want to be in crowds he doesn't like crowds he's got unfinished business i assume that means his brother but you know who knows probably he's got to kill his brother and uh she has unfinished business too um you know there's a lot of people on her list still and Circe is a big one um and uh he's and the hound says what are you gonna do if i'm wounded you're gonna leave me to lot leave me to die again and she's like yeah probably and he laughs and it's like ah <laughs> okay as long as we know where we stand uh they get each other i like that we get more hound and Arya scenes because season three was so great for uh, right? that and even though they are not like on the same journey together it feels like he's always so annoyed when she pops up like oh you again but we get to enjoy a few minutes uh, of more dialogue I, between them. he's it's great not, he's not annoyed he thinks she's great he i would say he thinks that she's maybe his favorite person in the world but he's never gonna admit it because that he's like super annoyed by the fact that he likes her so much but they're like kindred spirits and he can't stand it i think it's a great relationship because of that and she knows it she knows <laughs> she knows it and she knows that she shouldn't like him because he's kind of a monster and uh it doesn't matter that so they're, they're they both have this incredibly it's the close relationship that that uh both of them have to deny and dislike but uh it's still undeniable it's, it's uh, so great. wonderful it's the best it's the best maybe my favorite relationship in the whole show um the uh okay so dragons yes the dragons take off we get the scene with sansa and Tyrion. um he gives her the whole pr spiel about about uh you know you'd be the power in the north good relations uh don't provoke her uh we get the men of my family don't do well in the capital is part of that too so ned coming up there and then of course she can't mm-hmm. she can't say it but she wants to make the world a better place you know what if there's someone better so that's our that's our little little hanging there of like uh uh, maybe John would be better in charge than than Daenerys. Um, and uh, Tormund says goodbye as well. John says to take Ghost. Ghost lost an ear, by the way. Ghost is alive, but uh, lost yeah, an ear. Yeah, Ghost is alive. I uh, I remember thinking at the very beginning when uh, John's gave me his big kingly speech. Uh, there's a nice long lingering shot of Ghost. Oh, ghost yeah. And I always thought that that was a reaction to last week when people were like, "Where's Ghost? I can't believe it. Where the heck is Ghost?" And like they like. People zaprudered the episode and found like a shot of ghost in the corner. Yeah. And I thought that was a reaction to that, but of course there's no way they could have turned around a no, no. shot like that in a week. So uh, and then also there's a nice moment where uh, he says goodbye to ghost. So that makes sense. Yeah. A uh, ghost, by the way, I've heard a lot of people talk about like how it's expensive to do CGI, uh, dire wolf. It's actually a real wolf. So it's, it is a composited wolf. It's actually a wolf in Canada. So they have a, if you look in the credits, there's a Calgary unit. Literally the Calgary unit is this white wolf that they shoot. (laughs) And then they, and then they composite the white wolf into other scenes because, and, and make him bigger because you need a big it's a dire wolf uh but so it's Look, not quite up in the sky it's a bird 
It's, it's a plane. A, it's it's, it's Todd Vaziri explaining VFX. Oh, to us. yeah. Oh, hey, well, that's wonderful. right. <laughs> it's not quite a CGI, but it's it is, and it's it's anyway. That's the deal with the wolf. It's a real animal, but uh, then it's yeah. composited in. Uh, but it's good. Uh, he lost an ear, but he's uh, doing okay. Uh, also, goodbye to Sam and Gilly. Um, I kept I kept thinking to myself, like, okay, I know he doesn't like Daenerys because Daenerys killed his dad and his brother, but at the same time, can't can't Daenerys and and John just kind of like officially name Sam uh, the Lord? of his uh of his family castle like he's the last he he's he like he should be lord tarley at this point so i was a little disappointed that that didn't go on um and then and then there is this again ongoing question of the night's watch because sam has gilly they're having a baby um where does sam go like where does he go Where's he go? He's not in the Night's Watch. Know. Is there a Night's Watch? No, maybe we'll find out. But there is a there's a goodbye here uh, for Sam and Gilly too, and uh, and the baby. And they say uh, a nice moment where if if it's a boy, we'll name him John. And John says, "I hope it's a girl." There is <laughs> the fact that there's all these goodbyes does not bode well for John. Was my thought like it's yeah. so like final in a way that for two episodes left i don't think it bodes well for yeah. john or, i don't think we'll ever see sam or Tormund again yeah well what i was gonna say is or we're never gonna go back to the north and see those characters right so we're never gonna see maybe maybe we'll never see sam and gilly and Tormund again doesn't necessarily mean that john's gonna die although maybe it does but either way we may not see them again we may not come exactly. back to the north because uh stuff's gonna happen in the south so yeah yeah it definitely feels like some goodbyes they could trick us but it feels like goodbyes there um and this leads to the big scene with uh, which i thought was getting very close to the end of the episode it's not uh with Varys and uh and Tyrion, which is the how many people know eight so it's not a secret then more people are gonna know than the hundreds will know um and they have the the debate about the merits of john as the king versus daenerys as the queen he's a war hero people are drawn to him uh why don't they just get married well she's his aunt and although that is fine for targaryens he was raised in the north not sure i entirely buy that but you know okay <laughs> and and uh, and most importantly she is not interested in sharing that's the thing is she and and, and we saw her give him the ultimatum she wants to be in charge she doesn't want to share power with anybody not even john she wants john to be with her and do what she says um that that is and they're right on all those points and uh i think the line is i worry about her state of mind it's like that's our job is to worry about her state of mind and uh and this is a great it's a great because like i said earlier it is about power and who's who's the right person to have power and the answer really is and i think the show and george r R. martin feel this way is nobody should have absolute power (laughs) like this right because there is no good answer here uh you've got the 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 son of ned stark essentially who is bad at politics but is good at being a stand-up guy and doing what needs to be done you've got daenerys who wants to change the world but is such a believer in her own destiny that she is willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill it even if it's killing all the men, women, and children who are just commoners in King's Landing. And uh, to cap it all off, the another great line in this episode, which is, maybe Cersei will win and kill us all. That would solve our problems. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. Because there's, yep. like, there's so much left here that Cersei gets in the way of that you're probably right. Maybe next week is the 
uh, resolution to Cersei, and then the rest of it is John and Daenerys, Ice and Fire, Song of Ice and Fire. You know, that's the last episode of Game of Thrones, and we're all done. And there's, I love this scene in the same way I love a lot of the political intrigue in season one, mm-hmm. like the scene with uh, Varys and Littlefinger right. saying, "Oh yes, we're always here. We'll serve the realm." And it was a nice little tongue-in-cheek way of thinking about that scene while also having the desperation of two people who genuinely have like they're both very strong morally looking forward they have things that they're fighting for Tyrion wants to fight for Daenerys and Varys is fighting for the realm what the hell is the realm who knows but I love seeing them so desperate and confused and like trying to think about what to do and Tyrion looks so defeated like uh, Varys says at one point you're drinking a lot yeah you know whatever yeah well I guess I mean I've conflated kind of two scenes here there are two scenes with them but that that, that oh uh, right right right. right. there's yes. the first scene and the second scene but they're both great we might as well talk about them together yeah and and, yeah, and yeah. so I conflated them by accident but it's the right thing to do on purpose you know because it is about the destiny and who who would be a better ruler and she's too strong for him she'd bend him to her will it's absolutely true right that's the thing is so on one hand you're like oh he'd be a good ruler and and then on the other hand, well, no, he'd just be a puppet uh, for Daenerys. It's like, well, which is it? And I think I think that contradiction is not unreasonable that it, that you can have somebody who has these traits but is not perfect, and these traits and it's not perfect. And the answer is if you have. Um, if you have this scenario where you've got this monarch with absolute power, almost nobody is going to be able to check all the boxes. And so uh, they go back and forth about it. Like, what is the realm? Like you said, that is a great question. Cause Varys is like up to now has been very much like, I want the Targaryens back in power, but it was really his feeling that they were going to do a better job of it for the realm. And the realm is however Varys defines it. And, and, and it's great for Tyrion to call him on it. It was like, what's the realm? And he's like, it's the little people. And, uh, and I want to, I want to, the, the right decision for the little people. And it's very clear by the end of that conversation that Varys is no longer convinced that Daenerys is the best player here. And he thinks exactly. that, he thinks that Jon is the better player. And what Tyrion says is so interesting because what he says is, you know what? I, basically, I mean, not in as many words, but it's like, I believe in loyalty. I believe you find the person who you want to be in charge and then you ride with them and you steer them if you can but you you go with them and make them the ruler you don't keep jumping to the next person and Tyrion uh, Tyrion is loyal in that way and Varys is not and I think that's true to their character for eight seasons that they're suddenly at this moment where Varys is no longer no longer has confidence and it comes after he says do not do this to her he said I told you I'd look you in the eye you are going to firebomb King's Landing do not do this you will kill thousands of people this is the city you're supposed to be saving and he has his crisis of faith in that moment exactly how many kings does he serve now three four five five or six so hard to keep track yeah Yeah. i i feel like the moment where they talk about the idea of treason and Tyrion says, yes, I've thought about it, but thinking is not treason, whereas he knows that Varys is more than capable of what he calls treason for the sake of what he, uh, what Varys calls the realm. And I love that moment where they've planted the seeds of how this may go, where we have two very powerful people thinking about very out of left field things. And my question to you, Jason, what do you think it's going to take <laughs> For the two of them to jump ship and start planting the seeds of a rebellion for John, I think, I think Tyrion will only do it 
Tyrion will do it too late or only when he absolutely needs to, depending on how you argue it. Um, whereas Varys will start positioning now. Um, and, and may, the thing is, I don't think Varys has anywhere to go, right? Like, it's not like he leaves here and then he goes out and finds, cause John is with Daenerys. So I think, I think Varys starts to plot in the background about what move do we make if we win? Um, where, where am I with that? And I think Tyrion is very much like, look, I, I wrote this, she's the horse I rode in on. And, uh, so we're, we're going to, we're just going to keep it. We're just going to keep it here. Like, uh, I, this is what I, I'm going to be loyal. We're, that's the plan. I'm going to stick with the plan. And and I think that, you know, Tyrion's made a lot of bad decisions lately. So maybe this is another one. But I, I, I do kind of like at least his argument for for uh, not uh, for picking your choice and sticking with them instead of just jumping to the next one. I agree. I think what may do it for Varys is uh, Daenerys's military plans i think it's going to come down to what happens before or during king's landing where you know it's very possible that she does something that's really rash and something that's not going to be good for the realm so he's going to be like okay nope you're done and i think Tyrion is going to have more of a crisis of faith about something like a small scene that they have together i think something's going to happen during a scene between the two of them where something inside Tyrion clicks hmm. and he thinks this was the wrong idea I gotta like by process of elimination, it's gotta be John. So I I don't know what's gonna happen. And with two episodes left, again, I keep ah, two, two episodes, episodes left. left. I keep thinking about how they can do any of this in just this amount of time. Cause in any other season, the mounting concern about Daenerys and rising support for John would be a season-long yeah. arc. Yeah. But now we have two episodes left, yeah. and somehow they're going to have to do something in those two episodes to resolve this, and I don't know what that can be. And I think it's going to come down to these two characters, Tyrion and Varys, and how they feel about what's going to happen at King's Landing. Yeah, well, again, maybe maybe Cersei will win and kill everybody, and that'll solve the problem. Maybe somebody, you know, the the I think the safer route would be for this show to have the plot build to a point where a character has to make a decision that gets them off the board, right? Somebody has to make a sacrifice in order to win, because the most awkward scenario is that they beat Cersei and that John and Daenerys are both still alive because then they have to deal with it. And I'm kind of exactly. hoping I'm kind of hoping that's what happens just because I like the idea of the fact that you keep winning wars and there's always a next war. She calls this the last war and it's like is it is it? No, it's not going to be the last is it, war. <laughs> is the only solution here that there needs to go back to being seven kings and seven kingdoms and stop this, you know, the the one totally powerful king? I don't know. I don't know. Did we talk about Bronn in uh, King's Landing or uh, in Winterfell? Uh, I did not talk to Bronn uh, because, oh, there's so much going on. But you're right. They, they, uh, we get that one scene. Uh, that was the, that was where Tyrion is telling all the tall person jokes about Brienne. Yeah, finally he's got it's him stored up. Mountains. <laughs> he's got got him stored up. But Bronn comes in with his crossbow and basically says, "Look, I'm gonna I'm supposed to kill you guys, but I don't want to kill you guys. And also, Cersei sucks, and she's gonna lose. So, um." You gotta, you you gotta be. And Tyrion's like, I told you in season one, you will. I'll double what anybody pays you to, 
uh, to, kill, to me. kill me. And he says, well, th- she's offering me River Run. What's Double River Run? And High Garden. It's High Garden. You can have it. You know, do you like High flowers? Garden. So, uh, and, and, and he's like, all right, I'll come find you after the war is done. Until then, don't die. And he leaves. And it's great. It's I like, to call Braun, Braun, everybody, Braun. <laughs> I wanted to call out this scene for the incredible tension of him walking in into a dimly lit room with a crossbow. And it reminded me of that scene in the pub in Inglorious Bastards, where someone's got a gun pointed at someone underneath the table, and there's super tense conversation. And it's one of my favorite scenes in all of movies. And this really, really hit the spot for me in terms of tension, small character moments. There, It's rare that there's this much tension in Game of Thrones with fewer than 20 people in a room at any given time uh i love that it made it feel this personal and this intense with just three people in the crossbow and uh three people in the crossbow coming to theaters next fall directed Mm. by quentin Tarantino. tarantino yeah yeah, and then it'll be an eight-episode Netflix series. Um, oh, my God. That's so... <laughs> talk about that on Upstream sometime, Some, some other time. Um, okay. We talked about it on TV Talk Machine a little bit last Friday, but anyway. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, Tim had never... Hadn't heard of it, and so it wasn't much of a talk, but I, I mentioned it at least. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a point where I feel like we've got more than an episode worth of story, and yet a whole lot of stuff then happens. Um, they're flying along. They're they're taking their, their uh, fleet back south, and uh, guess what? You're on great joy and the surprise iron islander fleet is there with kyburn's ballistas and the uh, second dragon is shot dead right out of the sky um they attack they then turn the ballistas the you know the big shooting the big metal uh, shot puts they turn those on uh the other ships of the fleet a mast comes crashing down on Tyrion as he's jumping into the water to try and flee. Uh, again, feels like it's the end of the episode, but it's not. <laughs> Cersei brings a bunch of regular people into the Red Keep, which leads to that scene uh, that we get with uh, with Varys and uh, Tyrion about how this is a mistake because she's going to kill all those people if she attacks. Um, she- they talk so much about what the common people want, and I think about like nobody asks the fact them. that yeah, so many so many people. Like they mentioned that people aren't going to care who's sitting on the Iron Throne as long as they're alive, as long as they have food. And the fact remains that I don't know if the people in King's Landing really want Cersei to protect them or if they hate Cersei or if they're like I, if uh, Daenerys comes in, destroys King's Landing, usurps the throne, they're going to hate her, too. Yep. I think there's there's no possible outcome where the commoners don't hate the crown more than they already do. Probably not. And that uh, and Cersei knows that. And, and Daenerys knows it and doesn't seem to care. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's I mean, this is, I think, part of the point of this whole fantasy setting being the way it is, is that it sucks for those people. And like and no the, the, they don't care uh, often you could take this into the current day as well and just say politicians also don't care about what the people really want they use them the will of the people is a useful tool but they don't necessarily actually care about the will of the people and i think that's true of the rulers in game of thrones too um so mm-hmm. seriously rounds up the people and brings them into the red keep because they're basically the hostages of her baby uh magically changes somehow it's wonderful it keeps changing as long as it's necessary uh, uh she's up there with kyburn and with euron Greyjoy because uh, we there are there are a bunch of you know implied time jumps in this you know obviously this stuff is happening over the course of more days or weeks than than uh than we have to see because they're these big moments um 
this is the uh, they all and they have Missande, so she is uh, she's been taken hostage uh, out of the water. Keep the gates open. Uh, it will make Daenerys murder thousands of innocents if she wants to come and get me. Uh, that's her plan. And so we end up with. Um, uh, oh, uh, Brienne uh, and Sansa, and then Jamie by extension get the the, the Raven that this has happened. Um, Jamie is troubled and he leaves Brienne, but Brienne knows and goes and follows him. Um, and she says, "Stay with me. They're going to destroy that c- city. You're not like your sister." And this is when, as I said earlier, he lists his crimes basically and says, "I did all these terrible things for Cersei. She's hateful, and so am I." So he pushes her, pushes her away with his words because he needs he needs to resolve what's going on between him and his sister one way or another i i read i read this as his only he knows his only redemption is to basically uh kill his sister i agree and i think most of the internet does too so we'll see what happens yeah uh and that leads us to our final uh scene which is the uh they're they are facing off against each other at the city walls uh the uh the so circe and kyburn and the the mountain are up on the on the top and then Kyburn comes down and Tyrion goes over they have a conversation where Tyrion's like come on Kyburn he's like nope we're not going to do anything it's like be reasonable here and he's like nope the queen says and and Tyrion just walks away from him I laughed so hard at that scene because there it's two mouthpieces for two different queens just kind of butting heads and not doing anything and then it takes Tyrion walking away to make sure that things happen I'm gonna go talk to my sister and so then they both they they knock all their arrows because they're gonna shoot him oh no a little man has come to stand 30 feet down below the queen how dangerous is he and she's like no hold and he tries to appeal to her there's gotta be more clarity there's gotta be more clarity in the hand signals I know right for what it means to actually do the thing because she put up her hand and then brought it back down and i wonder if it's like uh if bringing it forward is what's gonna loose the arrows but bringing it down was dangerously yeah. close to bringing it forward to do the arrow maybe and if one care. person completely mis- misread it then Tyrion's yeah, a goner yeah, maybe she doesn't care uh he appeals to her though he says uh, you're not a monster i've seen it you've always loved your children i beg you do this if not for yourself and for your child but of course she's not going to do that and uh instead the mountain comes up and chops off Masande's head and uh yeah yeah game yeah, on that was rough and that's it so the one thing that made me think so okay daenerys is having a hard time contextualizing what she's doing with all the other people around her and all the commoners that may or may not want her there and Tyrion saying listen you never cared about your people you don't you know care about anyone else but you and your family and your child in the same way that Daenerys basically at this point only wants to win and only wants to rule, I saw a disturbing parallel between Daenerys and Cersei in the way that Tyrion was talking to Cersei. And it's more surprising to me that it wasn't more personal, given that it's Tyrion and his sister that he's talking to, but he said something so i want to say generic but like something that applied disturbingly disturbingly well to both daenerys and cersei and that's what got my gears turning about oh god something's gonna happen that's terrible that daenerys is gonna do something terrible in the same way that cersei has done terrible things only to protect herself and the fact that she is the queen yeah, and so this episode has lined up all sorts of different questions in terms of the fighting and the battles, but also in terms of the 
uh, you know, the politics of these characters, who would be a worthy ruler if you have to become Cersei Lannister in order to take her spot? Nothing has changed, right? So yeah. that that's that's part of it too. So um, I don't know. Daenerys storming away at the end through the flanks of Unsullied was <sighs> like I loved seeing her so angry, but actually listening to reason. Like, okay, we can't win this now. And there was a shot in the very beginning of this scene where it pans through the ranks of Unsullied, and I thought, oh my god, are we getting another massive battle? And then it pans back and there's maybe 50 60 people there and i thought oh my god are they actual is that actually all the army that's left after the golden company destroyed them and turns out my i, I didn't watch the next week on game of thrones but my roommate didn't mention oh uh, no there's still to Yeah, this there's is like a parlay basically where they're coming there to uh to make that's the make an offering basically offer to have her surrender demand her surrender and then you can say look I came to tell her to surrender and she refused. Um, and, uh, that, that was it. So now they turn around and they go back and, and they, they plan for war, I guess. And we've got two more episodes for that. So two more episodes. Someone did the research and saw that the guy that directs all the big battle episodes is doing one of the last two episodes. Yeah. I believe the guy who directed last week directs next week as well. Okay. So yeah, big battle. I'm wholeheartedly expecting that. And the fact is that like, the fact that now that we have everyone there in King's Landing, there's no real reason to jump back and forth to Winterfell or anywhere else. I'm wholeheartedly expecting a big battle because everyone is right there and it's not going to make sense to do the typical Game of Thrones, jump around, do all the scenes. Everyone's there. Everyone's just yeah. going to be fighting. Here it's we are. Be ridiculous. Yeah. And ho- hopefully if they do it like some some of the great shows do it. Not all the great shows, but some of the great shows mm-hmm. do it. Um, <laughs> they will leave. What I would like is I would like the last episode to take time to ponder what has happened. I much prefer the penultimate episode to be the Big Bang and the final episode to be the aftermath, the fallout. Because I think that's interesting, and I think on a show like this, it's very interesting, as for all the reasons we've detailed. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if that happens or not. But it could be that that uh, that the, the Big Bang is, to, is uh, next week, and then after that, it's going to be uh, the fallout. I would like that, because I think that there's so much interesting fallout from everything that goes on in this show and it would be a shame if it actually came to a crescendo at the end and we find out the resolution and then we then we close the door before seeing sort of like what comes next and i like those what comes next uh it's you know nothing ever really ends there's just another you know another set of problems for that we'll never see the resolutions of because the show is over Uh, so uh we'll see next week we'll we'll get a better idea of how this is going to end because after next week there will only be one Oh my god. There's so much like Game of Thrones does that so often that I have 100% faith knock on wood. Okay. I have 100% faith in them to stick this landing because they've done so well with penultimate episodes of seasons right. and dear god they've better do a good job with the penultimate yep. episode of the whole series. So we will uh we will see. We will see. So that's next week. We will be back next week. Brian, thank you as always. Big boats, crossbows, golden company. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.